success. How do you define it? Better yet, how do you achieve it? Introducing 505 Success, a podcast showcasing the business leaders of New Mexico who continue to strive for success in the land of enchantment. Listen and learn from these leaders, entrepreneurs, and innovators as they discuss the challenges they have overcome, how others can find their success, and how New Mexico can continue to grow and prosper. The 505 Success Podcast is brought to you by Exhibit. You only have 3.8 seconds to gain the attention of your audience while exhibiting at a trade show, event, or conference. At Exhibit, we design and produce great-looking graphics and exhibits to get you noticed. We also teach you all those hidden secrets of how to save money while at a show, along with some best practices. Call now, 828-0574, or visit us on the web, exhib-it.com. Podcast interview for Sue Gray, recorded October 15th. Hello, Sue. Thank you for being a guest on 505 Success, the business leaders of New Mexico. I appreciate your time. Uh, we want to start off. Uh, tell us about uh, your business and, and how it started. Well, the business that I'm currently a partner in is called Rapid Supply. Initially, the company was called Rapid Refill. It was a well-known remanufactured ink and toner business. When I joined the partnership, I met with my partners and asked if it was feasible to translate rapid refill into rapid supply and incorporate office supplies. That way we could have a broader scope of businesses and product solutions. So that's basically how we started. We were a remanufactured ink and toner company. And then in a very few months after I joined the organization, we became a full-fledged off-supply company, which also encompasses furniture, promotional items, technology, site design, and just basically anything that you could need for an office. That's a, a pretty big uh, change to go from something so specific as ink toner and, and printing materials to something that's so large that kind of affects anything that you could imagine for a professional office. How long did it take to really get everything up and running? Well, because of my experience and how well I was known in the office supply arena, my original goal was to have this transition accomplished in about six months. However, I was very successful in reaching out to the manufacturers and the wholesalers that I had built a relationship over eight, nine years that we were able to successfully conclude that integration within three months. Wow, that is a very ambitious uh, undertaking. And to finish it so quickly, that's something to be... Um... It's something amazing, quite frankly. Uh, what What is it? What, what got you into the business of office supply? Well, there's a lot of sayings, and one of the sayings is, is do what you love. And if you do what you love, then it's not really work. It's more of a passion or advocation or something of that nature. Well, believe it or not, I really like office supplies. And also my other 
like big like is actually hardware stores so if i go into a hardware store or an office supply store just to pick up one item i could be lost in there for hours <laughs> i have to touch everything because you know i i love figuring out what the application is oh that, that's amazing that's often the times when i see uh the most successful businesses are when you really are that, that same means something that do what you love and you'll love what you do that really means something because the, the work is secondary because you're, you're doing something that you really care about and it becomes easy for you. exactly and in addition to that i thoroughly enjoy helping educate people on what they are looking for not everybody knows what they want but they know what need that they need to satisfy and so that's why we're called solution providers because you can actually reach out to me and say hey sue i need to accomplish xyz do you know a product that could do that for me and nine times out of ten i can i have a a very dear friend that was the executive director or deputy director of afrl at kirkland air force base she called me and i've known her since i was 16. so let's just put this way it's been many decades since we were 16 but we've known each other for a long time she calls me and she says sue do you know this little thingy that clips on on cubicles and it holds papers and stuff like that and i said well yeah i know exactly what you're talking about and there was silence and she says are you kidding me and i said no and i gave her the item number actually it was one of the few item numbers i remember and uh, she says are you sure can you send me a picture of it i said sure so i texted over a picture to her she goes oh my god i've had my purchasing department looking for this for six months and I, and I asked her, I said, well, why did you wait so long? I mean, we talk to each other at least once a week. <laughs> you know? So there's a lot of humorous stories where we're very successful at resolving a, an issue, a question, you know, something of that nature. I think that is the secret uh, key to success that a lot of businesses don't know about. Maybe that's why it's a secret, is don't just provide the service or product that you promote. Like it's one thing to say office supplies, other thing to say office solutions. Like we help you figure out that solution like to your problem. We're, we're not just here to get paper clips or uh, notebooks. We're here to say, hey, you have a very specific need and we could help fill that need for you. Yeah, I mean, there was a, there's another old saying is when you're a, a client, as an example, a client needs a hole. They need to know how to make that hole. So they don't necessarily know that they need a drill or a nail or a hammer. It's up to you to provide that solution. The end result is they want a hole in a piece of wood. Mm -hmm. And so your job is to provide them the best method of getting that hole in the wood. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense, yeah. And I get a little corny from time to time. <laughs> well, I run into the same issue uh, with my business and marketing. People say I need to do Facebook or I need to email marketing. And I always stop and say, okay, before I say, let's, we could do this. I always ask, well, why do you feel you need this? Because if you, if you figure that underlying need, the underlying desire, they may that they actually need something different and it, you write that better option. Exactly. I generally say, what is it that you want to accomplish? That's a great question to ask. Because they they know where they think they need XYZ because they've talked to their their friends their peers 
or they went to a networking event and they hear these words bantered about and they know that they need something but they really don't know what that is and as an expert in any particular industry it's your goal to ask them what is it you're trying to accomplish because what they think they want may not necessarily be what they need because their goals might be completely different and so that's where you go into the probing questions and that goes for any sort of sales position if you want to be truly successful in driving business to your organization you need to be able to ask questions and understand the person that you're dealing with and understand what they want to accomplish and that's simple it's really simple but in order to do that you have to stop talking and you need to start listening that's a key key point I also feel that it, it brings a certain level of trust because the person that you're helping knows and can they can see that this person not just trying to sell me something they're actually trying to give me a solution even if it means spending a little less than you originally planned then what that does is that sets it up for the future saying hey i'm going to go to sue or i'm going to go to this place because they treated me right and they really helped me the first time yeah it's most important to to let that prospective client or your client walk away and have them walk off with a great feeling that hey they understand me they listen to me and they're looking out for my best interest. I mean, how many people like to be sold? Nobody. Exactly. How many people like to be listened to? A lot. Most, most everybody. You walk in the store, in the, any store, and the first thing the salesperson says is, can I help you? Well, your, your most likely res reply is, no, I'm just looking. Well, why don't you say, so what are you looking for? Because you know, if you say, what can I help you with? They'll say, I'm just going to look. Okay, well then what are you looking for? So just skip that aspect and say, what are you looking for? That's some great advice there. Yeah. So uh, Rapid uh, Supply is just the latest part of your resume, so to speak. You alluded to this a bit before. What um, what experience do you have before you got to Rapid Supply? Well, prior to going to college, I was a headhunter and I was an international banker with Lloyd's Bank of London. And um, then I decided that I wanted to go get my education because education is one of those situations that nobody can take your education away. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. That is always yours. It will always be yours. And no one can take it. They can take your house, your money, your husband, wife, dogs, cars. All of that can go away but they can't take your education away. So I felt it was really important to go back to school, get my education. Then once I graduated from college with a degree in finance and economics, I joined Wells Fargo Bank. And I was involved with Wells Fargo as far as doing large corporate loans. We're talking from half a million to $20 billion. Now $20 billion is, you have what's called participation loans, and that's where several large banks actually 
get together and they diversify the risk because not one financial institution can can house a 20 billion dollar loan so i would work with overseas banks like uh, bank de prairie scotia bank bank of london um, world bank some of those other banks to help with these large participation loans and they were companies that are for the most part household names Mm-hmm. that are involved in those very big loans. And then after a while, I just kind of got tired from, I mean, I, didn't, I was traveling so much back and forth from L.A. to New York City that I didn't even know my neighbors. So I thought, well, shoot, yeah, this is kind of a rat race, and I'm a little young to uh, be spending all my time on a plane or in a hotel. So I... Um, Stopped working in uh, at Wells Fargo, and I just kind of took a little bit of a sabbatical, and I was looking for something else to do. So what I did was, is, and this was before computers, you, let's put it this way, you couldn't Google stuff, <laughs> okay? You actually had to read stuff like the Wall Street Journal or go to the... Uh, go to the library and do a lot of research and send letters. You know what letters are? Yeah, the days of microfiche. <laughs> well, not even that. You'd have to send away to large corporations and get their 10Ks and 10Q reports and that type of stuff. So it, it, it took a little while. And I found this industry. It was called uh, swimming pool construction. The pool industry. Wow. Yeah. And I realized through all my research, it was a $20 billion industry. And it was easy to enter into the industry. What I mean by that is, is it did not take a large amount of financial resources. And it was predominantly occupied by what you would commonly say the old boys group, father to son, son to grandson, et cetera. And there were these families that would clean swimming pools, remodel swimming pools, build swimming pools, that type of stuff. And so the techniques were handed from generation to generation, or they would mentor someone within their organization. So I sat there and said, well, shoot, I don't need a lot of money to do this. And what could I bring to the table? And to the table, I could bring my expertise as it related to running and analyzing businesses. And I had the experience of being very organized and understanding financials and et cetera. So I reached out to a company called SP, SPC, it's SWP. It's a, a swimming pool wholesaler, parts wholesaler. They sell the gaskets, the pumps, the heaters, all that kind of stuff. Matter of fact, there's a branch here in Albuquerque. And uh, I contacted them. From there, I had them introduce me to all the manufacturers so I would learn all the elements of all this equipment. And then I hired a guy to be my mentor who'd been in the industry for 40 years. And it was funny, he told me he'd give me like six months I'd be out of it. And I I said, okay, that's great, thank you very much. And um, so I studied, I mentored, and then in six months I had my first employee 
and I had 300 clients. Then, matter of fact, actually, I think I have it someplace. I can show you some of the pools I designed. I actually have a portfolio. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're award-winning pools. Um, then in a year, I studied for my contractor's license, passed that the first time. Year and a half, I was the top swimming pool builder in Southern California. Uh, within a short period of time, the state of California reached out to me and asked me if I would be an expert witness. And I... Not sure if I have any of those certif certifications on the wall. I may have packed them up because, as you can tell, I, I'm I have a lot of wall space that's being utilized by Obdi Arts. <laughs> okay, so I became an expert witness for the state of California, and what I would do is I would go out to disputed construction sites between the client and the contractor determine whether or not that the whether or not the contractor was at fault or in violation of their contract or if the individual just didn't want to pay the bill. Most of the time actually in California it was the individual who had to pay their bill is it was it was just something that they derived. It, it was an excuse. Mm -hmm. Very infrequently did I need to write out a real report and have a contractor go back, fix it, et cetera. And then about six months after that, I was tapped again by the state of California to help them rewrite their contracting licensing test for building swimming pools. Wow. And so that was within like three years. Wow. So that's, I can imagine a lot of uh, in-person sales and, and pitching yourself and your company. Um, so you quickly became a saleswoman. I'm not quickly became because you already were, but you became that sales person reaching out. And so you've been doing sales for a long time. Yeah, I, I think everybody, and you may have heard me say this, I, I think you've attended at least one of my uh, sales yes. training presentation, which uh, the fourth week in November, I have the sales training event at the Hispanic Chamber and I'm going to be covering handling objections because yes. that's that's a stumbling block for most people and you're going to be amazed because I know you're going to show up Roger I'm going to go I'm going to go and actually I'll ask a question so hold on to that thought and bring tissues because I know you're going to be drooling after <laughs> I get done okay what was so well the question I wanted to see is, is how has the job of a salesperson changed over the years has it really changed much or do you think it's the same or do we face new challenges? Well, I mean, over the years is a very long stretch because it's it, there's no defined point of time reference. Do you see? I'm getting into my theory aspect. <laughs> okay. Let, let's start with let's rephrase that from the traditional sense of what we perceive sales to be as a consumer is you you. A lot of people equate it to, and I, and sorry guys and gals, if you sell automobiles, I'm going to make one of those typical car sales jokes, but I just want you to know I sold cars too. Okay. So you use the analogy, you know, the person's like a, a used car salesperson, you know, they're just jumping on anything that, that 
where the heart is beating, right? Mm, yeah. And they want to get you into a car because they want to get their commission and they appear to not care about anything that you're looking for. Oh, you want red? Well, here's a beautiful black car. Oh, you want automatic? Well, this one has five on the floor. For those who don't know what stick shift is, that's five gears, okay? <laughs> I, heard, I heard someone say the other day, if you want to, if, if you have a standard clutch, you're less likely to get your car stolen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I kind of looked at them, my mouth dropped, and I went, what? Okay. <clears throat> so that's the stereotype. And a lot of people are not professionally trained in the art of sales. And it's actually very sad. Because people will go out and they're thinking sales, in sales you can make a lot of money. And you can. But it is a industry that takes a lot of study and a lot of practice. Yeah. And, and if you don't study and if you don't practice, then you're going to be like that person who just wants to sell you something. Because it's all about what's in it for them. Does that make sense? No, that totally makes sense because you're, you're not, when, you, when you're not professionally trained or you, you don't think about the little things, you're just trying to get that sale instead of doing what we discussed before, trying to find out the person's needs and how you could best deliver upon them without necessarily selling the biggest and most expensive ticket item or package, whatever you're, you're trying to sell the person. Um, so being being freshly trained or at least understanding the craft of sales means going to, to me means going a little bit deeper and trying to understand and I'll, I'll admit to myself i'm not professionally trained myself and it's amazing the little things that you don't know that after time you're like oh i should have done this here or i should have followed this way or i should do that it's like something as simple as scheduling the meeting the next meeting during the first meeting Right, if there is a next meeting. Yeah, if there is, but even, you know, if you want to try to get that to, to, to continue the sales process, if you feel you have a chance to land that sale, don't let, put, put, get yourself on the calendar because it's so hard to get people, get in front of people. So if you're in front of them that first time and you feel you, you could get them, again, schedule a second meeting or little things like when to follow up and how, and to stay persistent, how to quit, you know, how to, to follow up the right way and, you know, what language to put in emails and how do you approach someone. So those little things... Uh, add up. Yeah, I'm one of those people that I will I will cold call on the phone, mm -hmm. and I'll get an. I will have that prospective client qualified in that first conversation, and if it's something that's within my goal area, then I'll have an appointment with them at least by the following week or two weeks. And my decision maker is those people who make the decisions. Sometimes it's the receptionist, sometimes it's the office manager, sometimes it's the CEO, sometimes it's the CFO, sometimes it's the board of directors. And it's all based on the company, the size of the company, etc. And all of those things need to come out in a very quick conversation. And it's a quick combo. Yeah. You, um, anyone in sales knows how tough it is to be in sales and you touched on objections earlier. so. You often hear no in one form or another a lot more than you hear yes. 
So that means you have to be incredibly confident and stay motivated. How do you find that confidence and how do you stay motivated when you're, you're hearing a lot more no's than yeses? Well, I think, Roger, you need to come to my presentation, which is the fourth Wednesday in November <laughs> at the Albuquerque Hispanic Chamber of Commerce at 9 a.m. and it's free to find out those questions because that's about handling objections. It's all about handling objections. And there's different levels of objections. So are you saying no? Are you walking to someone's door and you're saying no? Are you calling someone up on the phone and they're saying no? Are you in your first meeting and they're saying no? Are you in your second meeting saying no? Roger, I have prospects that I've been working on for five years. <laughs> five years. Now that goes back to where you said follow up. These people know me. I know where they went to school. I know where their kids go to school. You know, I could be the world's best stalker because I know all the pertinent details of this individual's life. And it's funny because they know I want them to be my client, but we've developed such a good relationship that they always take my call or they return my, what is it called? Emails. Okay. So that's basically where you want, but you still want them to poo and get off the pot. You know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? I'm not doing this for my health. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want them to enjoy what my other clients enjoy is a company and an individual who has their needs at heart. You know, I want to deal in their best interest. And then I have clients that bada bing, bada boom, one, two calls, and they're my client. Now, is that about timing or is it about technique? I would like to say it's a combination of both. And I'm pretty good. And, and you're just sitting there looking at me going, <laughs> well, no, I thought yeah. you, I thought you were well, no, I could tell you're very good because you're, you're very confident and you know you know, from years of experience and doing what you do, that you come off as someone who's very knowledgeable and knows how to continue the conversation. Something for me that I've always appreciated from you personally is how welcoming you are and how friendly you are without expecting anything in return. And to me, I think that is the hallmark of a good salesperson. Because you think I'm not expecting anything. Exactly. Exactly. When... In what I've told the people that I have trained throughout the United States and uh, several third world countries and et cetera, is when you are a salesperson, you are now, and I don't mean this in a bad connotation, you are now an actor, okay? So take off your own persona, you know, keep your heart and keep your ethics and all that type of stuff but be the person that listens to the person that's in front of you and respond to that person. If you're an introvert, you need to learn how to have a conversation. And the best way to have a conversation is start asking questions. And the questions would be very simpler, simple, such as, Roger, so what is the most challenging aspect you have 
with your current office supply company. Are you asking me that now to answer it? <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting to see if you say so. Now, sometimes the person would say, I absolutely love my office supply company, or I absolutely love my printing company, or my biochemical waste disposal company, or anything of that nature. And then you say, wow, that's really nice to hear. If you were, were to want to improve one thing that they do, what would it be? So it's, it, it's a process of trying to find your way in almost kind of, you know, I'm a big sports guy. So the thing that comes to my mind is almost like boxing when you're throwing jabs in there and you just keep throwing one until one lands and you're like, okay, that's the, that's where I, that's where I keep needing to go into this jab or this type of style of the punch until you figure out how to get, get in there. And, and you're doing it in a welcoming way because you're just asking friendly questions. Exactly. And see, the person who just said, well, I am perfectly happy with my office supply company, they're hoping you go, oh, okay. And then you pack up and you walk out the door. That's what, the, that's what they're hoping. That was a suggestive objective, uh, objection. You see? Yeah. Is well, it... most people go, oh, okay, where do I go from there? Well, just say, hey, I appreciate that. You can even say, hey, I appreciate, I appreciate just what you said because my clients say exactly the same thing about us. Yeah. <laughs> now, what could you improve on if you had the ability from your current supplier? And then they stop and they think about it because now you've asked them another, because you know, no matter how perfect anything is, whether it's even in your own personal life, say, say you have a significant other in your life, you know that there's something that you really want them to improve. Improve, right? Right. Yeah, but you're not gonna tell them because that would be rude. <laughs> Does that make sense? That makes sense. Okay, so you've asked them a question that there is something that has occurred maybe in the past, often, frequently, and they'll tell you. And now they've spoken to you and they've just opened up that dialogue. And you say, well, you know, now that you've mentioned that, is there anything else? And then they'll either say yes or they'll say no. And then you just recap what they said. So in a perfect world, you're looking for a company that can provide you XYZ and provide you a situation where you wouldn't encounter that, right? Yeah. And that would save you what time, money, frustration. Is that correct? Yeah. All right. Well then here's what I need. I need X, Y, Z, Z, Z. I'll get all the information from you. I'll go back. I'll, pre I'll perform an analysis. Uh, we'll schedule a next meeting for next Wednesday. Are you available next Wednesday? Yeah. What time? Okay. Let's do it then. And let's, let's convene this conversation next week. Let's, let's see what we have. Oh, okay. And bada bing, bada boom. That's great. Hello everyone, Roger here. Wanted to take a quick moment to speak to you about the Jingle Mingle networking event hosted by Exhibit on November 14th, 2018 from 5 to 7.30 p.m. at their showroom, 6207 Pan American Freeway, Northeast. Again, this is a free networking event with food, drinks, and music. It is a great event that Exhibit puts on every year to help bring people together 
to celebrate the holidays, but also presents an opportunity for us to, us business owners, to get to, to learn more about it, one another, network, and further our connections. Uh, I went last year. It was a phenomenal event. Had a great time. Lots of people. Lots of good food and drinks and music. Uh, the only thing exhibit ask is for people to. RSVP. You could do that by calling 505-828-0574. Again, 505-828-0574. Or you could go online to Exhibit's website, go to the Events tab. Under, under the Events tab, you'll find Jingle Mingle. Click on that and you'll be able to RSVP. Again, highly recommend it. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for your business. I'll see you there. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the 505 Success Podcast, the business leaders of New Mexico brought to you by Exhibit. Please join us next week for a new episode with someone else on how they've grown success in their business and how you can do it too.